Welcome to the Indian Science Show. I'm Annie. And I'm Turtle. And this is a podcast where we bring different worldviews together into conversations about science in Indian country. Welcome back to this week's episode. It's our special Halloween episode, and I had a great time recording it. It was my first time by myself, so I'm sorry if the audio is a little crazy. Uh, Luja does a lot for me. He does a lot for the podcast. I'm greatly missing him right now. He had to do a few things. He's traveling this weekend, but I did have a great guest, my dad. You get to hear some of the recordings that he taught me, he told me, and he was very excited to know that um, this was going to be on a Halloween one, so we even told a couple extra stories. You get to learn about what cryptozoology is, as well as a few stories from what I was taught. You get to hear some crazy ones, as well as some indigenous stories from the Great Plains area, from the Pacific Northwest, and as well as some in Australia. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. It was a lot of fun to do. I know that when I have talked to people kind of about what cryptozoology is, I always feel like they kind of give me a sideways glance and they kind of thinking that maybe I made up this word, but I swear I didn't. It's derived from the Greek roots of cryptos, which means hidden, zoon, which means animal, and logos is the discourse or study. So therefore, it translates literally as the study of hidden animals. And it is then generally defined as the study of unexpected animals whose existence or identity is currently undetermined by science. You know, because science has to prove everything. But there are certain things. Um, so I think that a lot of cryptozoology, cryptozoologists, they also rely heavily on first-hand encounters. And because there have been a lot of hoax, like the Bigfoot one, Loch Ness Monster, UFOs, you know, people like to kind of give people what they want or they kind of like their own attention. So it's kind of really hard to think that if people are really seeing as much as they are, we span all of the whole entire world, except for Antarctica, that you think by now that we would have more factual proof regarding these kind of mystical creatures. So that's what a cryptid is. So a cryptid is an animal, such as Sasquatch or the Loch Ness Monster, that has claimed to exist but has never been proven to exist. So cryptids are are really unique. I mean, you would like to believe that there's something out there that's not necessarily human. I know I do. I always like to believe in something more. There has to be something more. And I know when Ludge and I started this podcast, we would have hour-long discussions kind of about what unique things this world has to offer other than what human beings are. And so I've always been kind of interested in it. But it leads to the point about, is cryptozoology then a real science, or is it a pseudoscience? If you're unsure about what pseudoscience is, it's a system of theories, assumptions, and methods that are mistakenly regarded as scientific. So, we've talked about it before, but really what science is, it's following peer-reviewed processes and critical evaluations. While science is open to new ideas, they're always skeptical until there's good supporting evidence. And that's what seems to be lacking in this idea of cryptozoology and kind of bringing forth it to 
better public light because I think that when it's in the media, a lot of the time it's kind of eye-catching news. So you're going for the ratings. And when they talk to these experts, a lot of them aren't biologists. A lot of them aren't hard science degrees. They're like, their expertise comes in, I have a website or I wrote a book or a head of an organization. Not really that kind of credible evidence that you want to back you up. So kind of what does it mean? Uh, so I know that there's like, oh, I forgot about it. What is it called? Scientology. Scientology is the same way because people are firm believers in science. They kind of use this word science to kind of boost what they're doing. I'm not saying that it's not true. I, in my family, have had lots of stories about ghosts and my dad has my dad's family has been around here for a long time so they have their own stories and i'm actually gonna go to a recording of him telling me a story about my great aunt rose and her encounter with a bigfoot this is uh gene sorrell i'm uh, annie's dad my real name is francis eugene I was born in uh, to the Sorrell family. Annie and Ernie Sorrell are my parents. Uh, my grandparents were Isidore and Jane Sorrell. And uh, <clears throat> I was uh, born in 1945. Uh, when I was growing up, there was a lot of legends and stories told about uh, our family and uh, all of our uh, all of our family members, and so we'd all listen to them. And there was, uh, you know, the legends of uh, the dancing boy in the Arley area, and uh, yeah, Bigfoot, and we call him Sasquatch. But my dad, he was uh, logging. He was a logger and worked up in the woods uh, way far away. He'd go uh, working for a, uh, a week and then come back on the weekends. And they were uh, up logging back in uh, the wilderness area, what we call a wilderness area. And uh, they uh, one day they... Uh, went back up in there in the wintertime and they could see uh, all of these big footprints around all of their uh, machinery. And uh, so they thought, you know, that was a bear, you know, or something, but they couldn't see anything and it, nothing went wrong, you know. So this went on for a couple weeks and uh, they'd worked in a weekday and come back on a weekend go back on Monday mornings. And so they uh, said that they'd see all of these large footprints around all of their machinery that they left up there in the logging site. So they went back up this one week, one Monday morning, and they could see their camp just trashed. They said that there was these 50-gallon barrels of uh, diesel fuel just thrown about 20, 30 feet, you know, in all directions. And uh, 
their camp, their cook camp was all tore up. And, you know, those big tracks were still around there. And so uh, they said they cleaned it all up and got it all uh, ready to work again, got everything back together. So they worked all week and then they heard these uh, sounds coming from the tops of the mountains. And he said I could just feel, you know, eerie, you know, like somebody is watching them and whatever. But they continued to work that week and then got everything ready to come back on Friday. And the boss told him, said, well, make sure that we have everything secured and nobody can get in here and we'll uh, block the road off to where we come up to. And so they took the cat and uh did a uh what they call a berm and so nobody could drive in there and they went home and they uh came back up there on monday morning and sure enough their camp was just tore to pieces and stuff thrown all over the place and he said so they uh the boss said well we just got to get out of here and so they uh, finished up their logging unit and uh, took off that that weekend and never did go back up there. And so that was my dad's encounter with uh, Bigfoot. And then uh, my aunt, Rose, this was about in 1930 or no, it was 1960. She was up fishing. My Aunt Rose loved to fish up in the, the hidden lakes and the lake areas on, on the reservation. There's multiple lakes in the high uh, country. And uh, there was uh, fishing up uh, what is called Louie Lake. And uh, you have another one up Crazy Fish Lake, White Horse Lake, and uh, many lakes up in uh, the Jocko area. The, Jocko Lakes, uh, Placid Lake, and so uh, one day that she was up with her girls, she has two uh, two twin girls, and they were up fishing, and uh, they said that they were fishing and fishing and catching fish, and pretty soon they could just smell this awful smell, and the girls come running back to mom, she said, Mom, Mom, what's going on? I can smell this stink. It just stinks all over. And she said that the backs of their necks, just the hairs just stood up on the backs of their necks. And that she felt like she could feel something watching her. And uh, then one of the girls pointed across the lake. She said, Mom, look at that big thing over there. And she said they looked over and she looked real careful. And there was this big old Bigfoot. He is standing behind a tree and his head would come out and look at him and then look back and sort of like then go back behind the tree and back into the bushes. And then she said they she just got scared then because it was just her and the two girls up there fishing and the old man was down hunting and so 
She said she grabbed her girls and left her fish and the fishing poles and everything there. And they ran back to the old truck and got in the truck and went back to camp and finally told uh, the old man, Uncle Nick, that, hey, there was a Bigfoot up there. We could just smell him and we seen him looking at us. And so we just came out. And he said, okay, you girls, you know that there's different things up in here, you know. We've got to be very careful when we go out. So he said, we won't go back up there. She said, but I left all my fishing gear up there. And so uh, he took uh, his uh, partner with him and uh, they went back up there and he said, yeah, we could smell it, but uh, we just grabbed all of your gear and everything. So we brought it back and so that's a story that Aunt Rose Lassa used to tell me uh, when we were growing up also. So Lim Lim's Bessia. This was the first story that I remember my dad telling me about anything kind of mythological and or some kind of creature that was not a normal animal that we were used to seeing and I'm pretty sure that kind of sparked my interest in learning more about the unknown and while I was doing this research for this episode I came across this book called Abom Abominable Science. It's by a journalist for Skeptic Science Magazine and a paleontologist and so they pretty much dedicate this whole entire book to kind of how they arrived to the point of how cryptozoology is not a real science. Um, they kind of point out the huge absence of evidence um, and they kind of really wanted to see why people still believed in these cryptids. They talk about the Yeti, the Loch Ness Monster, and certain kind of distinct dinosaurs. And uh, it's a good book. I mean, if, if you have the time, I would sit down and read it. I think you can get it free online as well. But when I hear my dad tell me these stories about my family and kind of the experience that they have, that's when it kind of starts to change what could be the possibility of what did they see. So if in this book, if was it a bear then? Was it a rotting carcass? Was it just people messing with them? Um, I didn't really get to know my grandpa Ernest or really my grandma Annie. Uh, they both died before I was old enough to really understand. And so I rely heavily on these stories. And I think there's a lot of indigenous people that rely heavily on these stories that have been passed down from our generations to kind of connect us and tie us back to our ancestors. And if you need this kind of rigorous examination of evidence, what then happens to kind of the cultural history of cryptozoology? Um, I think there's a lot of people and a lot of communities, especially indigenous communities that have been on the land, that really kind of see these cryptids or creatures as something factual and something that they 
have seen. And so that you can't just dismiss that. As much as you try to look at it as a scientific point, um, I think you also have to bring in kind of like in the beginning, bringing in firsthand accounts. And it's when with animals that you've kind of been with that you can kind of guess, you know, we have a lot of grizzlies in the missions, could be a grizzly. There's many, many ways that you can kind of make it out to be either a Bigfoot or make it out to be something else. And so it, it just kind of made me think more about how I kind of look at this idea of cryptids and cryptozoology. And there have been a lot of real animals like the mountain gorilla that have been discovered after scientists investigated stories of locals and vague reports of sightings where animals kind of have came forward and, and kind of have been found. So who really knows if we are getting closer because we are heavily overpopulated and can that lead to more discoveries and more evidence then? One of the favorite stories that I've learned from my dad this year um, involves a mermaid, which I had never heard him tell the story before until my aunts kind of, we, we had a ceremony for her when all my family was here and we had it at Flathead Lake and Flathead Lake is definitely an amazing spot to be at. Like he had said, it's the deepest lake. It's the largest lake northwest of the Mississippi. We have a lot of stories around it, mainly the Flathead Lake Monster. It's kind of like the version of the Loch Ness Monster, but here on the Flathead, Flathead Lake. And so I'm going to give him the chance to kind of tell you this story. And I really, I wanted to tell Ledger this um, because it's something that I had never heard before. And I'm really curious to see if anybody else kind of has these stories about Flathead Lake that may not have been known before. But when, uh, when my mom was growing up, uh, we, they always uh, used to camp up at Blue Bay on Flathead Lake. It's halfway between uh, Ronan and Kalispell and uh, northwestern Montana. It's the largest inland uh, lake in uh, west of the Mississippi and the deepest. And so uh, my mom would tell the story to us kids. And uh, she was saying that her mom and grandmother's we're all camped up at Blue Bay, and uh, they'd always fish up there. And so my uncles and uh, grandfathers and all them would go out fishing. And so uh, one night there in the fall of the year, uh, they uh, the boys went out camp, uh, camping, Uncle Joe and them. And they uh, went out fishing, and uh, they was out there by uh, Bird Island and all the islands out there fishing. And they uh, came back sort of in the evening, sort of like sunset. And she said that they were just had this sort of a 
shocked look on their face and didn't know what was going on. And uh, the old man said that they caught a mermaid. And she said, what? The old lady said, what? What do you mean, catch a mermaid? She said, so they brought her out, out of the boat. And uh, she was uh, had the fish tails, but breasts and sort of a, a face, facial features of a, of a woman. And she had breasts. And uh, so they, uh, she said, you guys take her, put her back, put her back. She doesn't belong here. Put her back. Put her back in the lake. She's got to go there. And they said, no, we're going to keep her. And so they tied her up against the tree out of the water. And she uh, started to make these crying sounds and just uh, crying. And uh, they could see tears coming down her face. And she was crying and crying. And the old lady said, you got to put her back. You know, she doesn't belong here. We don't need her, you know. She need, she's got to be back there in the lake. Mom said that the old lady was pretty insistent. And the boys said, no, no, we're keeping her. You know, we, we've got to have her here. And so that uh, went on for about a half hour or so like that. And she kept on crying. And then uh, pretty soon uh, the old lady came back. And they could see out of her breasts where some was some white stuff and she said that's milk she's got some babies out there you guys put her back and she said the boy said no no and the old lady just got real angry she said she's a mother and she's got to go back to her children and you let her go and the old man came out and he said yes boys you got to listen to your grandmother and Mom, and you, she's got to go back into the lake. And so uh, they reluctantly uh, took her back out to where they caught her and uh, released her back into the lake. And so that's the story that uh, my mom has was told us till the day she had passed away that the old lady had made him put back a mermaid into Flathead Lake. So Lem Lem. When I first heard that story, I really kind of was unsure. I know that we have had a lot of stories about the Flathead Lake monster and kind of that being a giant sturgeon, but I had never heard a mermaid before. And I don't know if you guys remember it, but there was that video of that mermaid hoax where she was caught on a beach and they made like this whole documentary out of it. And I feel like it was on Animal Planet. But it's things like that that will always be out there that will make you second guess these stories that you hear. And it kind of puts you in this weird spot and then you yourself have to experience it. I have been, I don't know if you say fortunate or in my case, I do want to see something like that because I think it would help me base my evidence more. And I, I haven't really had any encounters. The only encounter that I have had is regards to a ghost. 
And even then, like, I don't know if it's like a true ghost thing. Um, so I went to Haskell and Haskell has been around for a long time. It's been a boarding school. It has a really, really dark history. And I had an internship where I was able to stay in one of the oldest buildings. And there was me and Alex on one half of the building. The other half was dedicated to boys. One half was women. So me and Alex were there. We were on the bottom floor. There was one more floor above us. And it was around, I would say, midnight, maybe 1130. And... I hear footsteps above me and I know for sure that there is nobody upstairs. Um, I think Alex, it was over the weekend and Alex usually was either with her boyfriend or she was out performing. And so I knew that it wasn't her. And then I think, well, maybe it was the guys, but you know, they are on the other side of the building and I hear it again. It goes on for about 30 minutes where you see, you hear like solid running and that's really the only kind of occurrence that I've had. I haven't had all of these supernatural, mythical being sightings. And I think that when you haven't seen them firsthand, like these firsthand encounters that people rely on, it's really hard for you to make your own decisions. And, and Ledger has some great stories. He's seen a lot. He spent a lot of time in the woods. Um, maybe we'll do another episode maybe next year where he can tell you his stories. He's told me a few. They're pretty cra they're pretty crazy. And I guess that's kind of where the only thing that I have is I have a little story about some feet. Um, but when my dad found out that he that I was doing this episode for Halloween, he was like, oh, I have some more ghost stories I can tell you. So he, he told me two of them. So I'm going to play them kind of back to back. I hope you enjoy. They're kind of funny. They're a little crazy too. Annie was telling me that... Uh... She wants to get this out there before uh, Halloween. And uh, so uh, I have an uncle that always used to tell the great, great ghost stories when we were growing up. And uh, when we were little kids, he would take and get us out there and in a tent, you know, and he'd take and tell all of these stories, you know, and so... Uh, there was a couple of them that I want to share with you. Well, it was always, he was always walking between, uh, Perma and, uh, Dixon, which was, which is in, uh, southeast, uh, or southwest part of the reservation. And it's a long stretch in there, a highway. And, uh, he, there used to be some old abandoned cars alongside of the highway there and the road and he'd, always tell us these stories and so he said one night he was out partying and uh, he got sort of left in the winter time it wasn't too cold he said and so he started walking back from Perma to Dixon which is about a 10 mile 
15 mile, 10 to 13 mile uh, trip. And so he said he is walking out there and he said, I got cold and tired and he said, I seen this old abandoned car there. And so he said, I just uh, walked up there and uh, looked all around. There was nobody on the highway and nobody coming. So he said, I'll go in there and take a sleep till sunrise and then I can get up and somebody will be coming along. And so he said, I was in there just sort of dozing off, you know, and then I heard this rustling outside, and you know, and I looked up, and he says, out the window, and I couldn't see anything. So I laid back down, covered up with my coat, and was going back to sleep, and then pretty soon I heard these footsteps. He said, uh, he said, they kept getting closer and closer to me. And he said, I'll, I'll wait. And so he is waiting there, waiting. He said, then I jumped up and looked around and, oh, I didn't see anything, you know. And I looked out and there was no footprints or no nothing there. He said, so I laid back down and, said, ah, oh, there's nothing out there, maybe a coyote or something. So he said, I lay back down there, laying back down there, and said, ah, just about to sleep. And then I heard these footprints again, footsteps. They're coming closer and closer. And he says, I'm just going to lay here this time and just watch, listen. And so he said, I lay in there and lay in there. And he said, I couldn't take it anymore. And so he said, I just got up and looked out there and, you know, oh, my God, there was nothing out there. He said, I looked up and no footprints or nothing. He said, oh, it's just my imaginations and whatever. And he said, so I laid back down and I was just going to go to sleep, you know, and then I heard these footprints again, footsteps again, and the wind was a-blowing a little bit. And so I, he said, I just lay in there, lay in there, just a-sleeping. And he said, pretty soon it just got quiet. I couldn't hear them footprints anymore. And then he said, I just lay in there and lay in there looking at him and said, Pretty soon, bang, 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 on the car door, you know. And he, he said, I just looked up and he said, I couldn't see anything. There were no footprints, nothing. So I just got out of that car and I just hightailed it back to Dixon. I walked as fast as I could all the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So that was one of those old stories. And he said, and the other one was, he was, uh, well, there used to be this old uh, bar in uh, Perma, and he, he lived in uh, Hot Springs. And along that, another long, dead-ass road, you know. He said, I was drinking out there, and somebody was supposed to come and pick me up. Uh, his sister and her boyfriend were supposed to come and pick him up. And he said they were drinking there, and... Pretty soon the bar closed, and he said, I had to walk, walk towards home. He said, I was out there walking and walking, and 
see a car coming and I put up my thumb and oh they didn't stop they just kept on going and this was night you know about two o'clock in the morning so, so I just went on and on walking and two cars passed me you know and none of them would stop so then I went on walking and pretty soon this fourth car I could see it coming and coming and so I said, well, this time I'm going to make sure I stop it. You know, and he said, yes, yeah, stop. Went through, and he said that car started slowing down as it got towards me. You know, and I said, oh, good, this guy's going to give me a ride, you know. And so he said, I just uh, waited and waited, and he come by, and he just stopped right by me, you know. And, oh, this guy was nice looking, and well-dressed and rolled on his window and he said you want to ride and I said yeah I'm going to hot springs and he says oh I'm going there too and so he said boy it's cold out here he said so the guy said come on get in the car I'll turn up the heater and so uh they were he got in the car and he said they were driving along and um, he was just talking to that guy, and pretty soon he said that uh, the guy just sort of got quiet a little bit, you know. And he said, I just wondered what was going on. So, so I tried to get up a little conversation, you know, and he'd do like that. And he said, uh, finally, Jody said, uh, mind if I have a cigarette, you know. And he said, uh, no, you know, you can have one, just, uh, so, my Uncle Jody just said he started to uh, roll his tobacco and he's going to light his match, and so, as soon as he lit a match, you know, he looked down at the floorboard and looked at the, this guy's feet, you know, and they were supposed to be shoes and whatever, and he says, no, he said, I just froze, you know, and I just froze right there, and he says, oh my God, I looked down, and he had pig's feet, you know, and so he said, I was riding with the devil, and so he, he said, hey, that's when he stopped talking, and then we just all laughing and whatever, but he tell us all kinds of ghost stories, so happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed my dad telling our stories as much as I did listening to them. I've heard them a few times, but they're still great every time I hear them. Moving on a little bit now, I, I kind of want to touch base on a couple indigenous legends that I found that really kind of uh, creeped me out a little bit. And uh, if you happen to be one of these tribes, let me know if you've ever seen them or if you have any stories. If your family has any stories, I would really love to hear them. The first I'm going to talk about is from Yakima, and it is going to be the Tata Kla. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but it's owl women and monsters. So one of the stories is from 1918. It's from a Yakima man named William Charlie. He said, before the tribes lived peaceably, 
in this country, before the last creation, there were certain people who ate Indians whenever they could get them. They prefer and hunted children as they were better eating. These people, the Tata Claw, were taller and larger than any common human. They ate they ate every bad thing known, such as frogs, lizards, snakes, and other things that Indians did not eat. They talked the Indian language, and in that way, they hoped to fool the Indians. There were five of them, and they were all sisters. But at the last creation, they came up only in California. There were two seen. They were women, tall and big, women who lived in a cave. Reading that, I mean, when I first started looking into it, I, you know, it's, it's, I would not want to go into a cave and see some very, very tall women, especially if they were speaking a language that I knew was only for my people. I would definitely probably be the one that would be fooled. Then there was another story. Um, this was by the Shasta Indians. So one time the Shastas were digging roots and camped. They knew that the two Tataklaa were about and around that place, the Indians were careful, but they, but the Tata Claw caught one little boy, not to eat, but to raise up and to live with him. The boy thought he could be killed, but he was not. The Tata Claw had him for several days. When they were out of sight, the boy hurried away. He ran fast, traveled over rough and wild places, and at the last reached his own people. After many years, the two Tata Claw were destroyed. No one knew how, but perhaps by a higher power. Their cave home became red and hot and blew out. The monster women were never seen again, never more heard of. But they have always been talked about as the most dangerous beings on earth. One of the five sisters was drowned. From her eye, all owls were created. The person or power that killed her said to her, From now on, your eye will be the only part of you to act. At night, it will go to a certain birds, the owls. And for my people, the owls have always been kind of the signifying for death. Whether it's going to be death happens around you, near you, or to you, if an owl spoke directly to you, you were always told to pray. And hearing this story, I mean, I think that death in owls is kind of surrounds a lot of indigenous communities and you know it's just one of those legends that if you happen to have any more stories about it i would really really love to hear them it's definitely crazy it's crazy to think about um you know we don't have any kind of stories about giant people but during our creation story um, for the salish people we started off really really tall and then every time that we died, we became smaller and smaller until finally our creator was like, we need to create animals first to teach humans the ways. And so, I mean, we all have these stories about large people and small people. So now I'm going to move on to a really crazy cannibal that happens to be really tiny. The cannibal dwarves, or hostile little folk of the Great Plains. Reading this, I've never really known about it, um, but it's known to a lot of different tribes in the Great Plains area. 
Um, so these little folk cover a vast region between the Rocky Mountains and the Mississippi River, uh, most often dis- depicted as a race of dangerous cannibals. Um, they're also known as wild people. Uh, they pretty much have a lot of different names. Um, Omaha has a different name from Arapaho, Osage, Shoshone, Crow, Comanche, Cheyenne, all have names for these cannibal dwarves. Um, they are extremely dangerous and aggressive by nature. Um, so they're like the fires of Europe. So they sometimes would kidnap children or use their magical powers to harm people. They would hunt with bows and poison arrows and are able to inflict wounds without breaking the skin. Um, so that's also kind of a similar, the kind of similar things that these are common with these European cousins. They have their own villages, trails, and other places. They can only be seen, however, when they want to be or are taken unaware. So some of these descriptions of these little dwarves, um, they vary somewhat from community to community. In Arapaho legends, they are immensely strong. But in Omaha, they are tiny one-eyed cyclopses. The crows see them with pot bellies and no necks. Um, Sioux tribes like Osage, Omaha, and Kansas, for example, they kind of sometimes have wings. So with uh, whatever these beings are, though, they're usually said to be the size of children, generally between two to four feet tall, dark-skinned, and extremely aggressive. They usually have squat necks and sharp teeth. Um, some of the storytellers say they have powers to turn themselves invisible, while others say they're hard to spot simply because they move with incredible speed. Some suggest that they kind of have like a warlike temperament. Um, they can be that comes because they must be killed in a battle or in order to reach their dwarfish afterlife. Others say that they're gluttons who habitually kill more than they can eat just because they can. Um, these beings are almost always hostile to human beings. There are some crow legends, however, in which a Nurumbi helps a mortal, especially during a sacred fast or in return of kindness done to them. So furthermore, they are said to kind of have played a major role in shaping the destiny of Crow Nation through the dreams of the Crow Chief Pleniku. So it's kind of this thing that changes from tribe to tribe. And and I am super curious to know if anybody, especially in the Plains region, I'm going to ask Gleja too, if they have any stories about these cannibalistic dwarves. I don't know a whole lot more of them, but listening to them and kind of seeing the the pictures that people have depicted, I mean, they're extremely interesting. The last legend I'm going to talk about is from Australia, and it involves the Yarramayarhu. This was a little red man, was about four feet tall with a large head and mouth. He had no teeth and swallowed his food whole, and the tips of his fingers and toes were shaped like suckers of an octopus. They were people eaters who lived on the tops of wild fig trees. 
They would capture their prey by dropping on unsuspecting passengers who sought shelter in the tree. So when a person camped below a fig tree, the Yaramayahu would jump on top of the person and drain their blood with their hands and feet. Their victims rarely died from the initial encounter, but because that person was left in a weak and helpless state, the Yaramayahu would return later and swallow the victim. It then drank water, took a nap. When it awoke, it would regurgitate the undigested portion of its meal, which if the meal was a person, that person would still be alive. So how do you become a Yaramayahu? Children were told that if they were unfortunate enough to meet a Yaramayahu, they should offer no resistance, as their chances of survival would be better if they let the creature swallow them. If a person was captured on several different occasions, they would grow shorter with each occasion until they were the same size as a Yaramayahu. They would grow hair all over their body, and eventually they would become a Yaramayahu themselves. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. It's kind of a different one, not really too sciencey. More stories, more legends, a little bit of understanding about cryptozoology is. I know I really enjoyed this episode. It was a little bit sad not having Ledger here helping me, um, but I want to give a really big thank you to my dad. Um, having him on the show, especially if it's my first time by myself, really means a lot. And I'm really glad you guys got to hear his stories. Um, I listen to him all the time, and it's still one of my favorite things to do is to drive around with him and hear everything he has to say. I hope that you guys have a great, safe Halloween. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Thanks for joining us, everyone. If you like the episode, make sure you go to our iTunes page and you leave us a review. Yes. Give us a like. Yes, and five stars. Five stars. Just because, five stars. Just because you, you want to. If you don't like iTunes, you can also follow us on our social media pages. Oh, yeah. And you can drop a comment or leave a review on there, too. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we also have a website. Yes, we do. <laughs> and it's a really cool one called IndianScienceShow.wordpress.com. But oh. if you'd like to just access our site directly from the place that hosts it, it's the same thing, but Indian Science Show dot podient dot co we would love to hear from you guys yeah and indian science show is spelled n-d-n-s-c-i-e-n-c-e-s-h-o-w dot wordpress dot com thank you for lending us your ears and now you should go use your fingers and your eyes to go leave us a review yes <laughs> <laughs>